Welcome to another sermon podcast from Mount Hope Belmont, where you will hear messages designed to help you learn more about God, grow in your love for God and others, so you can go and live your life driven by faith. When was the last time you made a decision? In the Bible, after wandering around the wilderness for 40 years, the Israelites were given a task to follow, but over time they fell short and eventually did not stick with the plan. Doesn't this sound like our relationship with God? Some of us would say yes to God's decision, but we would eventually not stick with it. In the next few weeks, as we dive into the book of Judges, we hope you will enjoy the message as we find out how to make sure we stay on our task and not break the cycle. So I was just explaining just a little bit, if, if you are new, we have to, uh, Mount Hope is one church in two locations. Uh, the two locations part is easy. Um, you can understand that. There's a group over in Burlington, there's a group over in Belmont. Uh, so that's easy. The one church is the harder one to, to bring across. Uh, so one of the ways we do that is we're on the same messages. So if you went over to Burlington this morning and you wanted to hear Pastor Brian, if you ran over there real quick, you could probably hear Pastor Brian if you wanted to leave right now. Um, you would hear the same message that you're going to hear here. Judges chapter 4 is where we're on. So we keep the same message series. We do that. And then every, we say six weeks, but it's been longer than six weeks since I've been here. We try and alternate where Pastor Brian will be over in Burlington and I'll be here in Belmont. And that way I can get to know some people who have been new to our Belmont location. He can get to know some people who have been new to the Burlington location. And he's just a couple of the ways, if you're wondering, why does this guy keep showing up every once in a while? Why can't we just hear Pastor Brian? Uh, this is just a couple of the ways that we try to keep unity uh, and be one church, even though we're in two locations. And I love being down here, and it's great to be with you here this morning. But we are in the same series that they're over in Burlington. We're in Judges, and we're in chapter 4 today. And so I'm going to ask you to take out your Bible and turn to Judges chapter 4, or take out your device and click over to chapter, Judges chapter 4, whichever you usually do. If you don't have a Bible with you, please grab one from the chair rack right in front of you or behind you or around you. There should be a Bible not far from you. Um, and we're going to be in Judges chapter 4, and if you do grab a chair rack Bible, you should be right about page 203 is where you're going to be. And if you don't have a Bible, you don't own a Bible, like you didn't just forget it at home, but you don't actually own one, like if you went home, you don't have one there either, then take that Bible out of the chair rack, and that's our gift to you. Please take it home. Let it be your Bible. Put your name in it, and uh, that's, that's our gift to you. Take that home and just bring that back with you next week and use that as your Bible. We want everyone to have a Bible, and we'd love to be able to bless you in that way to do that. One of the ways you know I'm not usually in Belmont is because I was in the back room at 10.50 going, wow, they're starting early. They're practicing because we don't start till 11 o'clock in Burlington. Um, but you start at 10.45 in Belmont, and I should know that. Um, but uh, I got in here about 10.50. So we're going to move into Judges chapter 4 in just a minute. But let me just reintroduce our series to you in Judges. Why are we looking at the book of Judges? What's going on in the book of Judges? Just kind of give you the 10,000-foot overview. So uh, in the time period of the Judges in Israel's history, just before the book of Judges in your Bible, if you flip back a couple pages, you get to the book of Joshua. And at the end of Joshua, there are these words. The people said, we will serve the Lord all of our lives. 
That's how Joshua ends and Judges begins. That sets the table. But if you were to go to the end of the book of Judges, chapter 21, the very last verse of the book, you would hear these words. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And our question is, how do you get from we will serve the Lord to everyone did what was right in their own eyes? And that's the path that Judges takes us through. But it doesn't take us on a straight line there. It takes us on a bit of spirals and circles that kind of over and over again. In fact, it tells uh, us this cycle. I'm gonna, can you put that cycle up there? It tells the story within this cycle over and over. Different stories, but the same cycle. Discipline, distress, deliverer, dissent, and disobedience. And the people of God, just leave that up there for a few minutes. The people of God go through this cycle over and over again. We've called it a cycle. A friend of mine who's also preaching this series in Malden called it a wheel. And I'm a little jealous afterwards when he told me he called it a wheel because he gets to use the line, uh, Jesus break the wheel. And I thought, well, that's, I wish I got to use it. I guess I just did. But we have a cycle. He's got a wheel. Uh, but the reason we used cycle is because there's also a descent to it. It goes circular and down. And here's what happens throughout the book of Judges. You get these stories that get a little darker, a little more disturbing, a lot more violent, <laughs> a lot further away from God. So that by the end of the book of Judges, uh, it's really disturbing and violent and far from God. So why do we have these stories in the Bible? Why are they there? Maybe that's your question. Because maybe the Bible's new to you, and you thought, well, the Bible's just a holy book of some religion, right? And it's just full of sanctified fortune cookie sayings. Or, or maybe it's just a, a holy rule book, like a driver's ed book. But it's not. It's got these stories in it. Why would God put these stories that are very violent, very, you know, very hard sometimes for our ears to hear? Why, why would he put them in there? That, maybe that's your question. They're great stories. When my uh, son was younger and he would have sleepovers with his cousins, I would, I would sometimes close their night with, with this. I would say, stories you didn't know were in the Bible. I don't know if this is the best way to put them to sleep, but I would say, stories you didn't know were in the Bible. And I would usually end up picking one from Judges because you pick a story from Judges, and like, there's no way that's in the Bible. I mean, if you were here last week with Ehud and the details that are in that story of the left-handed man plunging the dagger into Eglon and it like disappearing and then him closing the doors behind him. I mean, it's got everything a preteen boy would want for a story. I mean, you've got, you've got treason, you've got violence, you've got secret murder, you've got assassination, you've got bathroom humor. Everything's in there that your preteen boy would want, right? These great stories. But why are they in the Bible? Here's why they're in the Bible. Because God teaches us about himself in how he deals with people in history. That's how we learn about God. The way God related to Israel in what we call the Old Testament is teaches us about himself. It also teaches us about us, but I don't necessarily know that I needed as much to teach me about us because I already know people are violent. I already know people are evil. People have the capacity to inflict pain. People are selfish. People will walk away from God when they can. I know all that stuff. But the amazing thing that we're shown in the Bible is again and again, in the midst of that, God exhibits grace and love and response. 
And that's why these stories are here. We're learning about God. So we're going to get into a pretty incredible story this morning, Judges chapter 4, that's in the midst of this cycle. And last week we talked about discipline and why discipline is important. And the reason, one of the other reasons we're talking about this cycle and the book of the book of Judges is because it didn't just happen, it happens. And if you've been following God for any length of time, you know what I'm talking about. This isn't just something that happened in 1300 BC to the Israelites. It's something that happens in 21st century Belmont and Burlington in the life of people who follow God. That life gets good. And we said last week when it's easy to when life is easy, it's easy to walk away, it's easy to forget God. Right? And that happens today. Oh, the bills are paid, everyone's healthy, kids are doing good, life is good. And it's easy to forget God. And so we start walking our own way. And when we do, God lovingly, because he loves you enough, because he loves you enough not to allow you to walk away from him without trying to call you back and pull you back, he lovingly disciplines you. Lovingly, what's that look like? He brings things into your life that bring you to the place to say, God, I I forgot you and I need you. And I, I come back. And so he lovingly disciplines you. And when he does... Hopefully, the response is, God, I need you. God, I I need to walk with you closer. God, I need more of you. Distress, crying out. And then we're looking today at deliverance. God the deliverer. How did he deliver the people back in the time of the judges, and how does he deliver us? So Judges chapter 4, that's what we're looking at. It starts out with the cycle. This is a great story. How many of you know the story of Deborah and Barak? Let me add it this way. How many don't know it? All right, you're in for a surprise. This is good. This is good. I love it. All right, don't get ahead of me in the reading, okay? Here we go. This is good. So here we go. And the people of Israel, again, say that word with me, again. Say it louder, again, because this is dissent, disobedience and dissent, again. And it's so easy to stand back and be like, how could they do it again? But it didn't just happen. It happens. We do it. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. That's the discipline. God sold them into the hand of Jabin. This is the discipline. They they disobeyed, and so he's disciplining them. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harashet Hagoyim. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. For he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Pause there. Let me just make sure you got the characters right. Here's what's going on. They disobeyed, and God, and then, and then God brings discipline. And the discipline came in the form of the, a country, the nation called the Canaanites. Their king is Jabin, and Jabin's general is a man named Sisera. And the reason Sisera is so powerful is because he has smart weapons and drones. Not really. But it's about like that. Because he has iron chariots. And and if your enemy has iron chariots and you don't have iron chariots, that's a problem. So it's like they're fighting smart weapons and drones with rocks and slingshots. That's That's how much of an advantage this is. It's a huge advantage. So for 20 years... The Canaanites are able to keep the Israelites under their thumb and oppress them in Jabin and through this general Sisera. 
And so that's who God's using to discipline them. Let's pick it up again. Chapter 4, verse 4. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Labadoth, was judging Israel at the time. She used, she used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and from the people of Zebulun. And I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops. And I will give you into, I will give them, I will give him into your hand. Now, it's good that Deborah had that last part of the sentence in there because the first part of the sentence doesn't sound great. Go out with your troops and I'm going to bring out Sisera and his 900 chariots to meet you. Like, that's not good news. But the second part is good news. The second part is that God is going to be with him and is going to bring a victory. And all Barak has to say is yes. All he has to say is I will do it. That's the right response. Because she wasn't really asking him a question. I know it's in the form of a question. Has not God told you? But it's not really a question. Deborah's saying, this is what God says. Go do this. And all Barak has to say is, yes, I'll go do it. But that's not what he says. Here's what he says. Barak said to her, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. Not the right answer. All he had to say was yes. If God's with you, why do you need to do it? He told you to do it. Just go do it. That was his right response. Every figure in Judges is a flawed figure. And we see in Barak this flawed figure. He doesn't have the trust in God. He doesn't have the trust to respond yes. And so he says this. And she said, Deborah responds, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. And 10,000 men went up at his heels, and Deborah went with him. Deborah went with him may not sound strange to your ears, but it should have sounded strange to the ears of the first hearers. Because this is not 21st century war or 20, we can easily look through our 21st century lens, but go back to 13th century BC lens, 10,000 men went up, yep, that makes sense. One woman went up, that doesn't make sense. Why is she there? Women don't go out to war. And yet Barak said, you have to go with me? And she said, fine, I'll go. But you're, you may get the victory, but you won't get the glory here because God is going to sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. And so Deborah goes up with him. Now, Heber, the Kenite, new person, no backstory, first time we're meeting them. Now, Heber, the Kenite, had separated from the Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far away as the oak of Zananim, which is near Kadesh. When Sisera, again, the general, was told that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all his chariots, 
900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him, from Harashet Hagoyim to the river Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? This time he does the right thing. So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Harashet Hagoyim. And all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. And if that was the end of the story, we would think Barak just won an amazing battle. He was used by God, and Deborah was wrong. Because Barak just did this, and all the people, or he killed all the men, and he scattered everyone, and he gets the victory, and he gets the glory. Except the Bible does not waste any words in any of these stories. We just read a sentence that said, Sisera fled away on foot. So all the men were killed in the battle except one very important man. Let's see what happens to him. But Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin. Remember, Jabin was the king of the Canaanites. Jabin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber the Kenite. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord. Turn aside to me. Do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug. And he said to her, Please, give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the opening of the tent, and if any man comes and asks you, Is anyone here? Say no. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground. While he was lying fast asleep from weariness, so he died. A little shocking, right? If you hadn't heard, how many of you hadn't heard this story? But you did, did you see that one coming? You didn't see the tent peg coming, did you? Either did Sisera. And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, Come, and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So she went into her tent, and there lay Sisera dead with the tent peg in his temple. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel. And the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed Jabin, the king of Canaan. Pretty incredible story. Pretty violent and disturbing story. (laughs) And that's just how these get. This cycle continues, and they get a little more violent a little more disturbing as the book goes on because the people are getting further and further away from God. They're walking further and everyone is doing what's right in their own eyes. 
And this woman, J.L., really is doing what's right in her own eyes. Because we learn from the story that she should have been friendly to Sisera. I mean, he went into the tent knowing that, yeah, we've got a treaty with you guys. We're friendly with you guys. We're on the same team. Like, why else would you go into the tent, right? We're on the same team. Your boss, my boss, we're, we're together. But what happened? Well, from where JL was, and I didn't give you all the geography, but if you read, if you, if you understand what the geography is, which I read all those names, and by the way, just a side note, you, I don't even know if you know, but you have Dr. Park, who attends here at Belmont, who's the dean of the Gordon-Conwell Boston campus, and he's here in the first service. Do you know how intimidating it is to read all these Hebrew words <laughs> in front of a guy who got his PhD in Israel in Hebrew? So I don't know how many times I butchered those words this morning, but he was gracious, I guess. He didn't correct me. But anyway, so if I gave you all the geography on this, you would understand that JL's tent had a view of the battle. And so she saw it. She saw that, she saw the way the winds were blowing. She saw that Barak's army defeated Sisera's army. She saw what happened. She knew the way the winds of change were blowing, and she was not going to end up on the wrong side of history. So she did what was right in her own eyes. Forget about any allegiances there were between Jabin and Sisera and, and, and her husband. Forget about that. I, I see which way this is going, and I'm going to make sure I'm with the winners. And so Sisera comes in. She wars him in. She assassinates him, kills him, and then tells Barak that she had done it. So what do we learn from this other than that's a great story? What do we learn from this about God? Here's what we learn. I want us to just take a couple minutes to focus on this principle. Deliverance comes from unexpected places, but it always comes from the Lord. I think one of the things that we learn in these stories in Judges and throughout Scripture is that there may be expected places that you think deliverance is going to come from, but often God brings deliverance from very unexpected places. The truth is all of us are looking for deliverance in some place in our life. Sometimes it's individual, sometimes it's corporate. I would say a third category is sometimes it's eternal. Individual deliverance, whatever that is in your life, that might be. It might be a, a relationship trouble that you've been in. It might be a sickness that you've had. It could be a financial situation that you're in where you're looking for deliverance. God, I, I need deliverance out of this situation. I think a lot of times for many of us in our current society, in our current world, it's anxiety, it's pressure. Everyone's looking for a way to deal with their anxiety. There's articles. I, I can't even, uh, you know, mention the number of articles that are out right now just trying to help people cope. Everything from legalizing marijuana to microdosing LSD to... Uh, non-prescription to prescription to all kinds of things, to books and TV shows. Everybody, and many people know, it's easy to make money on helping people try to deal with their anxiety. And we try to need deliverance from this. This world we live in, the pressure we live in, we need distractions. There's individual things in your life and my life that we look at and we say, I need someone to deliver me out of it. There's corporate places we look for deliverance. This past week, that's uh, what happens with debates on a stage between presidential candidates. Essentially, what's happening is they're going up there saying, look, 
I can bring corporate deliverance. Here's my plan. Here's what I'll do. Here's how we'll find peace. Here's how we'll find solutions. Here's how I'll make it better. Here's how we'll find answers to things like immigration, racism, hate, problems that are in our world. Here's how I'm going to bring corporate deliverance. And we look at it and we watch it because we know somebody needs to bring corporate deliverance. Somebody needs to bring deliverance to our society. And so we read stories about Jeff Bezos giving $10 billion to to help against global warming because someone needs to bring corporate deliverance. That's, you know, looking at our world saying, somebody fix things. And then the third category, I'd say, was eternal deliverance. And we don't think about this one as much. And the truth is, I think we don't think about this one as much, or our society doesn't, is because we're so caught up in individual and corporate and distraction that we never get to eternal. I mean, I got my own stuff to deal with. I mean, it's enough just for me to watch one debate and have some understanding of what's going on on the corporate scale so I might be able to have a conversation about it. But really, I'm just trying to figure out my individual stuff that I need deliverance from. But then you want to get to the eternal part, which is the big picture stuff. Like when we all get off this hamster wheel and when someone's sitting around, people are sitting around with paper plates and plastic forks eating macaroni casserole and talking about your life and how they'll miss you and how you're gone and they can't believe it. Like what about that deliverance, like eternal deliverance, like when this is all over? We don't take much time to think about that because we're so caught up in our individual deliverance and we're so distracted. I was behind a guy in line in the coffee shop and, uh, you know, he's, I mean, we're in line for like, I mean, it, the line was moving quick. I think we're in line for 15 seconds. Pulls out his phone though and I see him. I, I'm ignorant on this. I think he's catching Pokemon. I, I don't know if that's what the right term for it, but I see him pull it out, a couple quick clicks, put it back in his pocket. And I'm like, I think that's what he was doing. And and I'm like, wow, we are so distracted. Like all of us are so distracted no matter where we are that how can we even think about these things? And yet they're important and we need deliverance. And the truth is, God's deliverance often comes not from expected places because we look in all the expected places, but it often comes from unexpected places. This is one of the lessons of all these judges' stories. Like, JL is totally unexpected. We don't even see her coming. We don't see her coming out of anywhere. She's not introduced until she opens up her tent and puts a tent peg through this guy's head. Like, completely unexpected. We don't know her. But Deborah's unexpected, too. She's a female judge in a time where it's all men in rulership and authority. That's unexpected. And she's the only one, one of the only figures in the entire book of Judges that nothing negative is said about her. Completely unexpected. But then last week, Ehud is unexpected because he's a left-handed man. And that was strange. And he brings deliverance for his people. And next week, if you come and listen to Pastor Brian, you'll meet Gideon. And Gideon's an unexpected deliverer because he says, I am the least of the least of the least. How could God use me? And if you come in two weeks, you'll hear about Samson, and Samson's unexpected because his parents were completely barren and had no children. There was no expectation that a deliverer would come out of their family. But if you read through Scripture, there's David who's a shepherd. There's all kinds of places in Scripture where deliverance God brings. This is a motif. This is a paradigm. This is how God works. 
God brings deliverance, not from the expected Hollywood motion picture blockbuster, everyone expects it, but he brings it out of small villages, a few miles outside a small city in a nation that's oppressed and no one's really thinking about in a manger at night in Bethlehem. And he brings deliverance from an extremely unexpected place. He brings deliverance through unexpected means like a cross, which the Romans crucified thousands of people. It was common, but it was unexpected that God would bring deliverance through a cross and through his son dying on a cross for you and for me. This is just how God works. This is just one of those truths and motifs in Scripture that God often brings deliverance in unexpected ways, but the deliverance ultimately always comes from God. And so what's it mean for you and for me? Well, let me just give you three things in, in closing and parting, depending on what group you kind of see yourself in today. Maybe you're in here this morning and you're not a Christian. You're not a follower of Jesus yet. This is question. Is the reason you're not a follower of Jesus because you can't fathom how something that happened over 2,000 years ago in the Middle East, in Bethlehem, can have any real impact on your life in 21st century Metro West Boston? Because it seems so distant and it seems so far. Like, come on, I need more than that. I need something a little more modern. I need something a little more, come on, you got to have more than that for me. You got to have something a little more academic, a little more intellectual, a little more, you know, you, you got you to give me something more than that. And maybe one of the hindrances to you coming to Jesus has been, that just seems so far. I can't imagine how something that far away, that obscure, that unexpected could affect me. And yet, I'm just here to tell you this morning, that's how God often works. He doesn't do it through the expected way that you want. He does it through the unexpected way that you have to put faith in and you have to trust him. And you have to put faith in the fact that Jesus came, that he gave his life on a cross for you and that if you will confess your sins to him, come to him in faith, that he grants you eternal life. He really meets that eternal deliverance that you're looking for in his word. That's the way he works. And maybe that's you. Maybe that's been a hindrance to you this morning. And I just ask you to consider it this way. Maybe it's exactly the plan that God wanted. That faith is putting faith in something that you would not expect, a way that you would not expect God to work. But maybe you're here and you're a Christian and you have been looking for deliverance in an area of your life, maybe one I've mentioned, maybe one I haven't. And it hasn't been coming. And might I submit this morning that could it be because you've been looking in all the wrong places, that you've looked and read all the books, that you've gone to all the experts, that you listened to the talking heads on TV, the Instagram influencers, and you haven't found the answer and you haven't found deliverance, but you haven't just gotten on your knees before God and say, Lord, I need you. And I won't stop and I won't leave your presence and I won't stop praying until you bring about the victory. And it seems like, well, you gotta have something more for me. Come on. 
Don't you have more than that? Give me, give me, give me, a, give me something to memorize. Give me something, to, you know, give me something hard to do. Come into God's presence and ask him and cry out to him for deliverance. Let me share a story that uh, maybe it looks like this. I shared last week in Burlington, but I don't think any of you, I don't see anyone. First service, I had a couple people that were in Burlington last week. I don't see anyone here that was in Burlington last week. Ah, one. All right. Uh, let me share a story, but I think it fits this week even better with deliverance. So it has to do with work. And some of you might be in work situations where you, I said deliverance, and you're thinking, my job, I want deliverance. You might be in a work situation, you're like, yep, that's it, God, deliver me out of that. So a few years ago and a couple jobs ago, Wendy, who has given me permission to share this story, was in a tough spot at work. And I know it was a tough spot because she left in the morning reluctantly, and she came back in the afternoon miserable. And some of you have been in that place where you just don't want to go. And when you're there, it's hard. And not just hard work, because not that you're afraid of hard work. Like, it's difficult because the people around you may not, you feel like they don't want you there. You walk into a room and they stop talking. And you know they're doing things behind your back. You know there's alliances that may be being formed and you're not a part of them. And it's just a miserable time, but you got to be there. And so for Wendy, this was a difficult time, and it was difficult for us because she would come home and talk to me about it. And I can't, you know, some of you that have been on the other side of that know I wish I could change it, but I can't do anything about it. I, you know, and if I offer advice, I don't think that's going to be helpful right now. So I didn't know what to do. But I did notice that after a while, something did start to change. And Wendy told me that she had in her prayer time, she had been made this a matter of prayer, and God had convicted her about it. And said, how dare you take this attitude to this job that I have given you. And I put you there. And he gave her a scripture that actually came out of a time when Israel was being disciplined. And it was a scripture not from Judges, but from a book, Jeremiah. And the scripture at a time when Israel was being disciplined and oppressed under God's disciplining hand, God told him, God told Israel, Pray for the people that are oppressing you. Pray for the nation that has taken you into exile. Pray, and we might think, well, yeah, I'm going to pray that God's going to get them. I'm going to pray that God's going to bring justice. But God said, pray that they would prosper. Because when they prosper, you'll prosper. Pray that they, for their welfare... Now, most of us wouldn't think of that when you're in a situation where things are difficult and hard. But Wendy took that as a word from God, and she started praying for her bosses and her bosses' bosses. And she started praying for the company she was working for. And she started saying, God bless them. God prosper them. God make everything they're doing succeed. God make our work group achieve our goals and hit our marks and exceed and you know be blessed with contracts and work and all of that. And suddenly... She came home and she wasn't complaining anymore. And it wasn't as reluctant to go to work. And something changed, but I'll tell you what didn't change. What didn't change is the people she was working with. What didn't change is the work environment. What didn't change is the job. But something changed. And sometimes we look for solutions in expected places. We think, well, I'm going to go to HR and HR is going to fix this. And sometimes that might help. 
or I'm just going to get a new job, and a new job's going to fix this, and sometimes that might help. But I'll tell you this, sometimes God's not going to let you move to that new job until you learn what he needs you to learn in your current job. That's discipline. And so nothing changed on the outside, and yet everything changed. There was deliverance that was brought. And I just say that because I think there are times where we look in expected places for deliverance. God, bring it this way. And he brings, he has a plan for deliverance, but it comes in an unexpected way, in an unexpected place. So maybe it's your marriage. We've tried all the books. We've tried all the experts. It's not working. What we haven't tried is gotten on our knees before Almighty God, opened up the Bible, and said, God, change it. God, deliver us. Well, that seems too simple. Yeah. Unexpected ways and unexpected places but the deliverance always comes from God. Final one this morning, and I'll ask our team to come back as we start to close. Final one this morning is this. I think the most unexpected place for deliverance to come from, as we talk about it today, the most unexpected way for God to bring deliverance, the most unexpected person for God to use is me or you. I think one thing we need to look at as we look at a passage like this today is to consider that God wants to use you to bring his message of hope and love to the people around him. And we might think, well, he's, why is he going to use, I mean, God's going to use Justin. He's not going to use me. Ting's up here. He's doing his internship. He's going to use Ting. Aren't you guys thankful for Ting, by the way? Yeah. Ting has been a blessing, right? He's doing a... I watch Ting, and he does his internship, and he comes to Burlington once in a while, and he, I see him with Pastor Brian, and I'm like, what do I got to do to get a Ting? Ting is, <laughs> Ting's been knocking it out of the park with his internship. But sometimes you might look at Ting, or you look at Carmelina, or the team up here, and you're like, God's going to use them. That's the expected place. God's going to use Pastor Brian. God, those are the people God's going to use. Deliverance comes from unexpected places, but it always comes from the Lord. And you may think you are, and you probably are, the most unexpected place that God would use for deliverance of someone, but God wants to use you. You think you just lucked into that apartment? You think you just lucked into that job that God happened to give you? God puts you there for a purpose. And you might think, well, there's people around me. They just happen to be people God put in my life. God put them in your life so they can learn about him from you. And you're in an unexpected place. <laughs> I'm just a plumber. You know, I just go and work my job. I come home. I'm just, I'm just an office worker. I'm just a salesman. I'm just a, I just push, you know, punch keys on finance or whatever, whatever. I'm just whatever you put after that. What you are is someone that God has entrusted with an eternal message of hope. And he's entrusted you to bring it to people around you. So I encourage you to do this. Think about the people you're going to encounter when you leave this place today. Some of them you know. You already know them. You've already made plans. You're going to cross paths with them. Some of them you don't. But you may be an unexpected place that God is putting someone in your path to cross to tell them about Jesus. 
I'd encourage you on your way out, you probably walk by it all the time. You don't even realize it's there, but there's those hope cards that are there. They're square. They're not business card size. They're a little awkward, which maybe isn't bad. You put them in your pocket. The corners kind of poke you a little bit. But maybe that'll remind you. Keep one of those on you all the time because you may be the unexpected place that God's going to use to invite someone else to church. You might be the unexpected person that God's going to say. I, I did it this week. I was talking to someone, and I said, you know what? I didn't know him. He was doing some work on my house. And I said, you know, I don't know if you're ever looking to need a church, but you know, here's a card from Mount Hope, and if you're ever looking for a church, we'd love for you to come by sometime. And sometimes it's as simple as that. Just extend an invitation. Because you might be that unexpected place that God's going to use for someone to come to know him. The deliverance always comes from the Lord, but he may bring it through you. Lord, thank you for this time in your word this morning. Lord, we don't always understand these stories, but we understand they're supposed to tell us something about you. And so this morning, help us to know you more, to understand that you want to use us and that we might think that we are the strangest vessel to be used by a holy almighty, all-powerful God, and yet you have chosen to use us. And so open us up and help us to understand, Lord, that your deliverance always comes from you, but often comes in unexpected ways. Help us to trust that you want to use us and that you're using us and be open to that in all ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand respond to God's word by singing this song together. Hey, thanks again for listening to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location. At Mount Hope, we gather in Belmont every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. and in Burlington at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Each week that we gather, we do so to learn more about God, grow in our love him and others, and then we go to live lives driven by faith. If you live in the Burlington or Belmont, Massachusetts areas, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday. You can learn more about us by visiting our website at mounthope.org, M-O-U-N-T-H-O-P-E dot O-R-G, or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at mthopebelmont. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to having you listen again next week.